0: Welcome to the Music Prophet.
1: I would never have thought that it would have lasted this long, but uh, I think people really, really like the idea of jazz music. Even, I, I think everybody, uh, when you talk about jazz, it means to somebody, it means something different. Every single person, they have a different. Like some people might think, "Oh yeah, that's that's big band. That's in the mood." Yeah, that's you know. Or somebody says, "Yeah, that's that's like Frank Sinatra, similar to what we just listened to, like Paul Marinaro, you know, you know." So, or maybe it's Miles Davis, you know, fusion. You right. Know? They go
0: back to the names they recognize. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's amazing how many different kinds of jazz there can be.
0: Is that a struggle then when you make the lineup to make that balance between recognizable figures and people like
1: Capoco? Yes, it is. It is a little bit. And uh, I have to look towards, uh, you know, what other people want to listen to not just what I think as the Artistic Director of Jazz Sudbury Festival. And sure, I have a good background in jazz and I'm really steeped in in standard jazz and contemporary jazz, you know, and I've done some fusion as well. But I have to look even further and see, okay, what other types of jazz music that maybe I don't listen as much to that people might be interested in? So, I, you know, that's why when you... Uh, wanted to come and 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 have me uh, on your show. I thought, well, maybe you should come on my show. And it's funny because you picked music that I really like as well, but it's new stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's very very interesting that I already knew some of those names that you that you gave me. And I said, wow, that's really neat. I must be thinking the right way.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I'm really glad I didn't I didn't know what he would expect because also on the playlist there was things like Mad Lib and some experimental avant-garde jazz that yeah you normally it's rare to find in Sudbury let alone anywhere so it's it's nice that yeah. you're able to find those pieces that you could connect with Exactly Actually uh maybe uh but is that something and I, th- I the experimental music avant-garde is something that at least my audience they likely don't know a lot about. So i was would you be able to sort of expand on what avant got the difference between avant-garde and standard jazz would be?
1: Yeah, I guess the like the standard contemporary jazz. If we say those words, or you know, we're thinking it's definitely swinging. It's it's got a beat. It's, it's, it's going along really solid. You can dance to it. You can tap your foot to it. You, ha- you know where the beat is. And you don't have to know anything about music or the harmony or anything or understand the complexity of it, but you, can, you enjoy it. And that's because when music was the most popular, uh, it was in the 40s, actually. And that was the big, ban- big band era. So all those big bands played all this music by Benny Goodman and Glenn Miller, Duke Ellington and uh, Count Basie and all those great big bands. And the reason that everybody liked it is because they could dance to it. So uh, it was it was very standard. You knew, you know that they're going to do this and they're going to do this. There's not going to be really, really long solos or anything that's going to get wild or anything. It's going to be very standard because you all have to hear that drummer. That's got to be there all the way through. So the standard, you know, the standard contemporary jazz, that's what we think of. That's what we think of. Before that, we had tradition, traditional jazz. That would be more like uh, music coming from New Orleans. And we'll be playing some of that when we when we parade around uh, on Saturday for the Jazz Walk. Mm-hmm. We've got heavyweights band, brass band coming along with my Nickel City Dixie Stompers, which is going to be really, really great. And also um, the Shuffle Demons right. as well. But, but the, it's, it's, it's fusion, and that's what's happened in New Orleans, too. Now, when, when we, we think of all the, uh, the, the, the black bands that, that happened down in New Orleans, and, and it came from, from the culture of black people, and uh, you know, it has fused now, and using hip-hop and rap and ideas like that, and, and funk you know when you think of funk music you know you go to new orleans that's right the true funk you know and uh you know dr hook
0: what was the what was the draw initially what what got you into it
1: well i guess it was the, the improvisation thing i mean i i, I started to, in high school like like lots of people did and, and playing clarinet in the band and and I'd, I'd practice and practice and practice. And, and I got tired just doing the scales and doing the exercises in the books and stuff. And I started making stuff up myself. I just thought, well, I think I'll just try and make a song or make some lick or something. And and then I it was really, you know, I liked playing like that. And didn't think about it uh, like what I was doing, like I, that it was improvisation or that, I, that it was it probably wasn't jazz at all at that point. But uh the more I kept doing that, and then my uh, my concert band master, he decided to start a little stage band, and so then I started playing a little bit of saxophone, and then I got into jazz in a big, big way, and started uh, buying records and listening to different different players and finding out who's who and hmm. who's who's you know Charlie Parker and who's Zoot Sims and who's Lester Young and who's Charlie Parker and Miles Davis and all that kind of stuff, so.
0: Which seems like, I guess that would be a very natural transition, especially with saxophone, you fill, or the songs that you can play and enjoy in a saxophone are hard to find if you don't delve into jazz.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I I mean, saxophone is also known as a a good classical play, uh, you know, playing music, uh, but it certainly became much known better with jazz music and, and saxophone is certainly known now as one of the mainstays of, of instrumentation for, for jazz. So that's true, definitely. So then there was lots of music for me to listen to if I go to the record store and start to you know, look for something and it's like, okay, there's a saxophone, pick it up, have a listen to it. You know. And that's probably about the same way now that I've, I've done research and became a teacher and an educator myself and, and started to realize, yeah, well, that's that's the way the first jazz players really started to learn was by going to the record store, you know, and if they if there if there weren't recordings, then they would go to the clubs and the gigs where these things were happening and they'd listen to these players and then go home and try to woodshed what what they were doing and try to figure it out. But certainly recording was fantastic, and that was uh, the opportunity where somebody could take the record, take it home and listen to it over and over and over. And that's what I did. I I ruined so many albums over the years. And I know lots of us had, you know, even though not trying to learn the music, but certainly us musicians that, that wanted to learn how to play, you had to, you know, okay, pick up the needle put it back to that track again. And you probably scratched it a little bit, you know, and you just keep doing right. that and, you know, but that's the way all the, all the jazz players started to, to learn how to play.
0: But did you have the, the notes and all the sheet music then, or were you just going by ear?
1: At that point, I was just listening to what that player was playing. And then I would try to play along with him. And so, so that, That was something that I had to learn how to do. I had to learn how to get in tune with that recording wherever it was played and when. And so now I'm at home in in my living room, you know, on my clarinet or my saxophone, and I have to try and get in tune and make sure I'm in tune on the track. And then I try to play what he plays, and then I try to play something different that's similar to what he plays. And, And pretty soon you're able to actually play a little bit longer on that track then you know maybe at first you can only do maybe 10 seconds or 15 seconds because you don't know what the heck this guy is doing. Mm -hmm. He probably has so much more technique than I did as a young player. So certainly learning uh, how to read music and doing all the exercises and things that I did do and, and, and I did have some technical ability that allowed me more easily to do this, definitely. But the great jazz players in the beginning, they did not read music, and they didn't go to, uh, you know, conservatories and have teachers. And some of them did, but most of them, it was just someone else, older, played that instrument, and and they, they got little few lessons from them. And but Louis Louis Armstrong couldn't read music, at right?
0: All. Which is a lesser known fact mm-hmm. for yeah. people
1: because you listen to him and they, they say he's like a genius, you know. It's a, I mean, he was similar to uh, Paul McCartney.
0: Right. And he doesn't read music.
1: You and wasn't know, Miles doesn't...
0: Davis like that as well? Or oh, was no. he, Miles, he was
1: technically trained? He was the other way around, yes. He was very, very well trained. Yes, he uh, came from a rich family. His father was a dentist. And he went to Juilliard, one of, okay. the, one of the best music te- uh, schools in the world, even to this day. But he didn't, he didn't stay there. He wanted to learn jazz, and he wasn't learning it at the school. So he went to the clubs and he found Charlie Parker. Interesting. yeah.
0: So was that sort of growing up then, when you had those idols and you started imitating them, did you find that the music around you wasn't fulfilling or did you st- start to really learn and understand the culture around you locally even more?
1: It's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. Everybody, Everybody has their Little idea of how this works, and and uh, yeah, I was playing in, in I was playing in a rock band, you know, when I was in university, and I played saxophone, but it was mostly rock, you know. We were playing Blood Sweat and Tears, and you know, uh, Chicago, those those types of horn horn band, right, you know. You know. And some of my friends were, were really, really good players, but they weren't interested in the jazz music that much. They, just, they were more into just playing, you know, this rock music that we played, you know. But I was interested in what's really going on. How are these guys playing and how are they making those improvisations and just making this stuff up on, on the moment? So I was, I was really, really interested in that.
0: Right, because that sort of reminds me of even the Poetry Jazz Cafe in Toronto okay Where a lot of it's uh, it's in Kensington, and it's this place that when you walk by it when it's closed and it looks like it's run down and renovated,
1: well, when the Kensington uh, Market Jazz Festival happens, they have all the guitar great guitar players. It's at the po- uh, what's it called again?
0: They call it the Poetry Cafe or Poetry, poetry Cafe. That's what it is. And, right.
1: and so so th- when I went there, they, they had concerts or gigs. During the Kensington Market at Jazz Festival. And that was one of the venues.
0: Right. because it, And it's, I remember the first time I went, which was last, I suppose it would be last November. And it was very much experimental. Yeah. You went in, there is no, there's no place to sit. Okay. And you're just watching the band and everyone is, and you can tell that they're improvising. Yeah. And adding in and the drummer is just a session drummer. And the bassist is maybe friends with the singer, yeah, yeah, but not that close of friends. And you can see them adding things, and so I see what you mean by it's just improvisation as you grow. Yeah, you have the Laurentian band, you have the Dixieland, but is there? Do you have a goal with the styles that you try to adapt?
1: I don't know. I find it so easy, especially with jazz music. That there's so many different places you can go really easily. That it's just it's really easy. You say, Well, what do you want to do? You just think up an idea. Uh, let's do something associated with Oscar Peterson. You know, why not do that? Because he's probably one of the most well-known jazz pianists in the world, and he happens to be Canadian. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's easy, it's easy to to put something on by Oscar Peterson. Uh Blue Train, you know. I mean, there's so many different different songs that he's he's written, and, and, and we can we can work on that, and then we can go in tangents from there. I mean, uh, Sir Oliver Jones who's another great pianist who was well known, to, uh, you know, to to be uh, you know uh, a colleague of Oscar Peterson. They both lived in Montreal and uh, played in Montreal. And uh, so then Oliver came to came to sorry came to Sudbury, and uh, he he would do concerts with us, and it was just amazing. So I thought, well, why don't I do that? So uh, I'll have Oliver Jones come, and he'll play with my Laurentian Jazz Combo. Right. You know, it was probably one of the greatest things that happened to those young students. You know probably for a long long time because you know? it's an I mean, incredible it opportunity for, yeah I mean, it was great for me too you know and I was like you know but I can't imagine being you know 18 19 20 years old and to have this like amazing amazing musician come and play with us and it's like wow and then do a concert you know like wow that's that's amazing
0: but that's it's kind of that's great though because with your with the jazz subway connections you're able to give students opportunity to learn from some of the best i feel like
1: yeah Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: At the same time, how are you able to create the teaching environment that you had, the experimental and copying other musicians when now it's just, there's so much out there to learn by yourself without experimenting?
1: Well, the only thing that I can do is, is, is suggest things to my students, you know? So one evening I might go in for, for, uh, you know, the combo rehearsal and I go, okay everybody just put your instruments down and I'm gonna turn the lights off and I'm gonna play a track of music by whomever. Oscar Peterson, Miles Davis, doesn't matter. Steps Ahead, it can be, you know, Jacob Collier. Doesn't matter what it is. And we just, just, let's just listen to this music and really listen to it. So sometimes I have to stop because it's difficult, isn't it, for even you and I to put a track on and just listen to the whole thing and not talk, right? Mm-hmm. We, we want to talk. And, wow, did you listen to that trumpet? You know, but, but in order to really listen to it, you shouldn't. And that's, that's tricky. It's, it's tricky to do. So I talk about um, passive listening. So passive listening is like what you and I are doing now. It's what other, like what most people do. Mm-hmm. Okay, most music that's why pop music is kind of watered down now to the point where it's just you know, it's eleva- elevator music, it's like music at the mall, you know, so, like that's what music is to most people. That's all they know. They don't really know what it's really like until they go to something live, right? Once they go to something live and they see it with their eyes and they see it through their ears at mm-hmm. the same time. And, and let's put it this way, too. What if you're blind? Do you think, don't you think it's still important to go to a live thing or to listen to it on your, your radio or your computer or your headphones? If you're, if you're blind, you're going to know the difference. You're going to know the difference immediately if that's live music. You're going, that's live. That's happening here right now. So that's something that's really, really important. And it's something that's probably we're losing that, probably a little bit. And that's why summertime is really, really good, Mm -hmm. almost everywhere, because you know there's going to be lots of live music somewhere. There's going to be festivals all the time. Right,
0: because you're able to teach active listening. Exactly. Especially, yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's what I try to do. I say, okay, let's really listen to this track. And then we'll talk about it. Then we'll talk. What did, what did you hear? Right. And, and then easily, every individual probably heard something different, depending on what instrument they play. So, so then I'll say, okay, we're going to listen to this track again. Don't listen to the instrument that you play, because that's probably the first thing you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Why don't you listen to, if you're a drummer, why don't you listen to the saxophonist? And if you're a saxophonist, why don't you listen to the piano player and try to not listen to everything else? just listen to the piano player so that's mm. that's a selective you know listening
0: and so, so you're, then you're really you're fully avoiding your influences in what inspires you to discover something new
1: exactly yeah
0: that's really interesting yeah as a final question because this is something that i've had conversations with drummers and other musicians is that when they hear music, they often hear the influences, which makes it so you so you can never really have an active listening period. So do you find that where you hear the influences of the new artists coming up more than the actual song?
1: You know, that's a good question. That's a really good question. It's a tough question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind in a, in a way that I should try to, to, to answer your question is the difference that happens for me is because I'm an instrumentalist. And I don't listen to the lyrics very much. But that's because I'm a saxophonist, you know, I play flute, I play clarinet, and so I'm listening to the lead, you know, the melody, you know. Mm -hmm. So when I'm listening to Ella Fitzgerald, I know the words are there, and but it's kind of in 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 the back of my mind what i'm listening to is her melody you know so um, three little words three little words da da da, da 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 i don't even know the rest of the rest of the words right
0: because you're only listening because to I'm the small because i'm
1: listening parts. but i can sing that melody cuz i know it you know cuz i've heard it but I've heard it many, many times by many singers, but I don't know the words. It's called Three Little Words. <laughs> and that's all I know. So how do you like that?
0: Actually, that's the, yeah, that answers it really well. And I'm glad that I was that you were able to come on the show. And
1: Well, Kyle, I'm glad that you were able to come on my show as well.